Welcome to The Beat from the True Wellness Center. I'm your host, Kelly Kennedy. And The Beats is truly from my heart to yours to help you empower and inspire you to learn how the body actually does work. I am bringing you my friends, my colleagues, the most incredible minds from around the world that I have been able to learn from. And I want to share them all with you. So that's what The Beats is really about, is teaching people what I've been able to learn about how the body works and trying to give that to you in a very simple and practical way to give you things to change your life because you got this. This is all about you and having the ability to heal your own body from within. And that's really my message is from my heart to yours. Welcome to the beats. Welcome to learning how your body works and welcome to opening your heart. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your time and your attention as we focus in on this week's episode of The Beats. Welcome back to the beats with your host, Kelly Kennedy from the True Wellness Center. And I am actually a little um, nervous today. You kind of hear it in my voice. It's unusual for me. But if you've listened to me for the last eight months or so, you've listened to me talk a little bit about Alison Armstrong, who we are gifted today with her presence and her wisdom about understanding the human species and how we actually work on emotional levels. She's written a gad of books. You just go to alisonarmstrong.com check out our live events, check out our virtual events. We'll have all that in the show notes, but I just want to get into a deep conversation. I know we have a limited time. So thank you, Allison, so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for your time and all your work. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So um, I don't like where to start with your work is so broad because I think some of my audience probably isn't very familiar with you and what you do, because typically we have medical doctors and dentists and Lift specialists and different people like that, not um, who's this woman that's writing books about understanding men and women. But as we know, in order to get us to work the best and ideal, we've got to come from our heart and we've got to be in alignment. So how did you start this work all those years ago with your curiosity and your, your focus and tension and how did it turn into the work that it is today? If you could give us a quick round about that. A quick one of that? Um, oh boy. Okay. Aye, aye, aye. So I've been involved in transformation since I was 19 years old. And I'm one of those people that goes from student to teacher very quickly, like can't really help it. You know, if you've got good news, you, got, you know, just want to give it away instantly. And um, so I have been a teacher in the field of transformation since I was 21. And um, and learn to look deeper, learn to make distinctions, learn to question what appears as true, what, what advertises itself as true. Like that's just true, well, of course, right? And you know, and I was born in 1960. So I grew up with uh, Barbie dolls and women's lib. And, <laughs> um, and the, the, message was, the message was very, very clear. Um, and that is, you have to have a man. You have to, but don't ever need him. <laughs> Very clear, have to have one, don't ever need him. <laughs> and, um, 
And as I later found out after a miserable seven-year marriage that I entered into just before 24 years of age, that, you know, when I started studying men to find out how are they responding to me, how am I bringing out the worst in them, which began in February of 1991, one of the things I found out is that men aren't looking for a woman who doesn't need them. <laughs> They're looking for a woman who needs what he has to give and wants to give. If you need what he's got, yes, that is really cool for him. If you don't need anything from him, then I'll go find someone who needs me because they need to be needed. They're providers and they're problem solvers and they're protectors. And even if it's just protecting us from being overwhelmed, they are compelled to do that and they only get satisfaction from it. They only get energy returned to them from it um, when it's appreciated, when it's received well, when it's valued. And so they can give and give and give and give when the energy returns in the form of, wow, <laughs> wow, thank you. Oh my gosh, I needed that. That made me really happy. Like all those kinds of ways of us showing that was important, that was special, that was amazing. That's their fuel. And um, and I was raised to never give that. You know, don't, don't, don't be impressed too easily. Uh, keep the mystery going, do you know, by by keeping them guessing. Oh God, they hate guessing. They hate guessing. And I found the more direct I became as a woman saying what I needed, saying what replenishes me, saying how to make me whole again when they've hurt my feelings or disrespected me. Like these, these are the words I need to hear. And then I, I will be whole again. <laughs> and they need all that information. And, and the more direct a woman is in providing that information, honestly, the more mysterious she becomes. That, hmm. Are you? Do you have a sister? <laughs> so, so mostly everything that I learned from my mother, who learned from her mother, from her mother, from her mother, right? It didn't. What it produces is survival, right? But what we came into in our generation, if we're close enough in age, is the possibility of being happy, being satisfied, being fulfilled. We don't want this to, to survive and survive better than our neighbor. We want also to be expressed, to contribute, to have made a difference. And, and all of, really honestly, Kelly, I've been paying attention to human instincts for decades now, and I've yet to find a single human instinct that puts us on the same team. Um, that has us be able to provide what the other needs in order to be able to give us what we need from them, like a, a, the upward spiral, I call it stairway to heaven of giving and receiving and, and clarity and, and comprehension. And we have no instincts that tell us to do it. They, they're all about concealing and protecting ourselves and don't ask and don't tell and don't ever reveal a weakness unless that weakness will make you seem more attractive. And <laughs> it's, it's just um, a lot of um, baloney since, since 
since I since I in my real life swear, and um, we have a policy in our courses, which is we swear, but but only for accuracy. We swear for accuracy, but it's not quite so accurate. But I'll say baloney. We have been. We our instincts are. You can swear all you want, Allison. You're welcome to swear. Our, our instincts are trash, and our education is crummy. Yeah. Um, and we're all set up to lose. We're all set up. We're doomed is one way to say it. And but we all take it personal. Like, what's wrong with me that I can't make this work? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with you except you were incarnated human. <laughs> and if you wanted a better life, you know, be a sea turtle. They're merely bashed against the cliffs. Um, <laughs> but I don't think they get broken hearts. And so that, that's one way to talk about my life. The well, last four years. No, I appreciate that so much because I think that for the journey that most people are on listening to this, they've been on a journey of self discovery from their own health and wellness. And I think some of them are kind of linked into like, oh, no, this is starting to make sense. I understand what she's saying. Like we've got to, we were trained wrong. We were set up for survival instead of thriving from a biological perspective. And we have not changed our philosophy of how we live and how we cultivate humans and their, and their emotional beings in this thriving, abundant life that we now get to live. And it's, I remember taking a class um, called, I don't remember the title, but it was like, do you believe in evolution or do you believe in creationism? It was one of my first semester classes at Cornell. And I was like, being raised a, a Christian, I was like, and mm. also a biologist. I'm like, it's a great question. I'm very confused about that. So let's have class about it. And my father ended up passing in the middle of that class, which of course made me really question that, which of course made me not want to take the final exam because it was like a month after he died and I said to the professor you know I need a minute it's a very good point I don't really know the answer to that and it began my thought process of how we are driven instinctually versus how we are driven from the creation and and yet how we live in this world that is set up for the sympathetic nervous system of fight flight versus the parasympathetic of digest, rest and heal. And I think in most relationships, we're still in the fight flight. And what your work began, like, trust me, I'm not even close to done with Alison Armstrong's work, but what it began to lift the veil from is like the reality that we're just not the same. Like, I gotta stop acting like the way I treat my husband, Ian, and the, what I say to him is going to respond, get a response back because it's the way I would want it. And I think that was such a clarifying moment of like, oh yeah, we're not the same. Why are we trying to treat everybody the same? Such brilliance. And I, it puts a nice little um, wrap around it in regards to what you really started to do is look at how are men different because I'm not successful in my relationship. So I must have to figure them out. And then it went into women, right? Then you started to understand women. Men taught me about women. <laughs> I love that you say that. Men taught me about women. They did. They did. They described these creatures that I've never met. And I, so I went looking for them and I, I fell in love with women. I, I got to see women from a man's point of view. When we're not trying to be a man, um, when we're trying to be a man, they just sort of like, ugh, 
it's kind of tiresome. Um, but when we're full on women, including strong and powerful, brilliant, and I mean, they instinctually really they're built to find and find the strongest, most competent partner that they can attract and keep. Right. And they they're not looking for weakness. They're not looking for less than. I remember one man saying to me, he goes, I never understood this thing about about women's equality. Why would you guys want to take a step down? <laughs> Why would women want to do that? Like and and like for them to be amazed by us and in wonderment and just wanting to be worthy of a woman's admiration because she's so spectacular and magical and and powerful and look at the things that happen around her and they don't happen when she's not here like all these things that they shared with me about how women are that i mean men get accused of being clueless uh we need more clues too and um oh my gosh i i owe my life to that that momentary decision oh my gosh i'm a frog farmer and <laughs> what if men are responding to women? And if they are, what are they responding to? And finding out, like you brought up the example of expecting the same reaction. Women um, were so in instinctively compelled to be pleasing. Even our, even the way that we behave in the workplace, right? Is we just respond to the values, right? And and if this is a tough place, then we'll be tough. If this is a sneaky place, we'll be sneaky. If this, right, we like, if you you speak vision, but you really do cut throat, we'll be that, right? We'll we just adapt so quickly and easily. And ay ay ay, it means that we're incredibly susceptible to criticism. We change with criticism. And so we criticize men to try to get to change them. And, and we think the fact that it doesn't change them, that they must not really care about us because the more they care about us, the more the criticism should change them, just like us. And it doesn't work that way at all. And in fact, it does change one thing about it. It will have them keep their distance. Mm -hmm. It won't change other behavior. They won't start doing that thing you want them to start doing or stop doing that thing you want them to stop doing. They won't do that because of criticism but there will be a tremendous loss of intimacy. Yeah. And this is why when, when people sit on our table and I and I say this all the time, there's very few people that sit on our table that have all the relationships are good and healthy. <laughs> you know, their illness is a representation of a relationship that's not full, whole, whether that's their relationship with themselves or with others. But I, I know you can't help somebody else until you've done it, right? Like I can't help somebody become pain-free and, and chronic illness-free until I've done it. And then I help thousands and, you know, fine. I can't help somebody else. Like so many people come in and go, oh, I want to find a love relationship. I want to have this, but I'm broken. <laughs> but I want somebody else to love me to fix me. And I call that the half empty swimming pools trying to get people from the other. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it, yeah, it, it, 
But I think women and men have run circles around each other from what I understand of your work. And I've always wondered about this because I know from an instinct perspective as a human, it's not instinctual for us to be monogamous because men want to spread their seeds and they want to procreate. And that's evolutionarily from that perspective, like, that's what I want to do. And then we're like, oh, but you should be married. And I'll never forget about this comedian. I don't remember who it was, but I remember I and I sitting there laughing hysterically because it was this woman comedian talking about men and she wants a man to be sensitive and strong and willing to attack, but, you know, cry on her shoulder and tell us how she feels. And it's like, that man doesn't exist. That's that you can't have that. That's not real. And we have all these expectations that ruin relationships, but I don't think they're real expectations based upon what you've uncovered in your work. It's like, but you don't even understand yourself and what makes you tick and how you need accolades and how you're driven. How did you get to that work? I mean, it's just so brilliant and foundational. And like every school should have this as like first, second, third grade. This is what they should be learning about how you're driven if you're a woman versus how you're driven if you're a man. Can you talk a little bit about that foundational drive and where that comes from? Yes, I can. And it's a little more complicated than that. Um, oh boy, let's see. Well, let's start biological and then go mental state. Okay, okay can we do that? Yeah. So biologically, one of the effects of estrogen is that women are more enduring, like we're more enduring. They're more males, sudden infant death syndrome, more males miscarried, men die earlier than women, right? We're, we're more enduring, but we are not physically as strong our muscle mass and our bones were not as strong. So even a smaller man will be physically stronger than a bigger woman, right? And we're profoundly aware of that. It's in every cell of our being, they're bigger and stronger and they can protect us or they can hurt us. So instinctually part of our brain is dedicated to constantly evaluating is this a protector or an attacker is this a protector or an attacker how about now how about now how about now you know and a man raises his voice in the moment before he was the love of our life and now he's an attack <laughs> and then we'll have a fight fight or freeze reaction to that right and then he'll have his fight flight or freeze or fight or flight right down into the toilet <laughs> yeah so so we've got the being what I would call the smaller and weaker gender, looking for protectors and providers. And we're just as likely to be non-monogamous, by the way, because yeah. while they want to spread their seed, we want to get the best seed and in, and in the process acquire a dedicated protector and provider that's gonna take care of us. And long-standing, if he has sex with me, he will protect me. If he has sex with me, he will provide for me. So what do women do? They steal men through sex. If I can get him, I can get him away from, oh, it's, it's ugly. Um, but we also are built to, if you will, jump horses. Right? Like we think, okay, I got a good horse, but I'm gonna be safe, life's gonna be good. Wait, they're passing me. Who's that? <laughs> we're we're instinctually disloyal. And ay, ay, ay. 
Whereas men, it's a whole different paradigm. Their loyalty to each other, they're loyal to each other even when they know the other person's wrong. <laughs> We're loyal when we know they're, yeah, I got your back when you're right, right? So all these things keep getting in the way of creating really sustainable partnerships. And yet, <laughs> I did a program last summer called Own Your Ultimatums. And it was the culmination of about 30 years of me interacting with what I needed in a mate when I was had a small child and wanted to be married again and have children, right? Versus then three decades later, a widow realizing, oh, I, I do want to be in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I, I really didn't ever want to do it again. Like I did it well, I did it brilliantly. I learned so many things, but it's so hard. I'm not sure I want to do that again. Someone would really have to be extraordinary to be worth it. And and my husband was extraordinary. And it, but I didn't think I'd ever find anybody worth it to worth to do that for again. But I had to when I decided, oh geez, okay, I really do want a man in my life, then I had to reconfront my own ultimatums, my own, I'd rather be alone than be with a man that wasn't that. And <laughs> it's so funny, just the process of these instincts, I gotta, I gotta get one and I gotta contort myself and I gotta be different to get them and keep them, but, but are they even worth keeping because are they gonna protect me? Are they gonna provide for me? Oh, he raised his voice, he's scary. And yet we're still trying to make it work and trying to make it work. And yeah. it takes so much consciousness. And as you know, you know, we've got the limbic system and we've got the prefrontal cortex. And so so our our executive override conscious choosing is always at least a split second behind the impulse given by the perception of a threat or an opportunity. And so like the awareness of what's going on in this system called human, if we're not aware, we have no choice. If we're not aware, we're impulse and off again. And so that becoming aware of like, one of the most important things is to wake your brain up to the feeling of tension in your body. Because tension is a sign of instinct has been activated. You've perceived a threat or an opportunity and you're gonna be off and running unless you can feel that tension and go, oh, let's take a minute, switch nervous systems here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hmm. Right, and it's, and that's basically what I've been discovering since 1991 is this is what instinct will have us do if you take a moment and do this instead, right? Like the impulse, to pose a question to a man, and if he doesn't immediately answer it, rephrase it. And if he doesn't immediately answer the rephrase question, then give him multiple choice. This is a very, this is common, this is normal. And I got to study what's happening to a man on the other side. What is, what has him blow up and stomp off? 
<laughs> we don't get an answer and he's being crummy about it. He didn't answer my question. Why is he cranky, right? To find, to unwrap that, what actually happened and discover, oh, geez, besides all this bigger and stronger and smaller and weaker and we're, we feel safe when we're productive and trusted and respected versus we feel safe when we're connected and attractive and people are interested in us in a good way, two very different ways to feel safe. On top of all that, we have these mental states that both men and women can experience. And I, I call it now committed versus open. When we're in a state of being committed to a result, to a timeline, to a destination, a goal, an intention, the moment we commit ourselves, we have a completely different relationship to communication, to feelings, to strength and weaknesses, to being valued. Um, we have a, we, it actually, the state of commitment alters what we see and what we hear. It filters what we see and what we hear. It filters out everything that seems irrelevant to what we committed to. And this, oh my gosh, this causes so many problems in mating, for example, because when a woman is committed to getting married by a certain time, her brain is going to filter out everything that tells her this is the wrong person. <laughs> but it's but he wants to be married, it's the right time, right? And I could go on and on with examples. And, and then an open state of mind, an open state of mind is when we're overwhelmed with the input that we get in that open state of mind because of what estrogen does to the brain. And, and we feel safe when we're connected. And that open state of mind is also, it lets us give other people a feeling of connection. It's what has a man walk into a woman's house and sense her, right? Her diffuse awareness. She is diffuse in that environment. He can feel her, right? And happy wife, happy life. <laughs> and it's, but men are also in an open state of mind, which is why I don't like to call it feminine, right? right? And men can be in an open state of mind when they aren't committed and they're playful. And we fall in love with them when they're playful, but we want to have sex with them when they're committed because we perceive that as strength and we perceive this as connected. We want both. We really do want both. So how do you- So how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do you do that? Well, once you recognize that it's valid, he could be in this state of mind or this state of mind. She could be in this state of mind or this state of mind. How do you can how can you tell what state of mind they're in? Right? There's all different ways that people move their bodies. That people, when you walk into a room, either look up or don't look up. That's a what are the first indicators? Look up or don't look up. Um, look up, open, connected, yes. <laughs> don't look up, focused, committed, may not even have noticed you've entered the room. They're not ignoring you. So right. I mean, I could rattle off. We have, I don't know couple hundred hours of videos recorded on all the things I've learned in the last 30 years. But how I did it, which was your original question, is I got, I got curious. Yeah. And anybody can do that. And, and that's what I encourage everybody to do. Get Go from furious to curious. When you want to kill them or you want to strangle her, think, 
well, what if there's a good reason for what they did? What if there's a good reason for that? Okay, how about let's assume there's a good reason for that, even though we cannot imagine what it would be. Okay, but they're a good person. I know they love me. Okay, <laughs> you have to like work your way into it. Sometimes it takes a few days <laughs> to get to, I'm sure you had a good reason for what you did four days ago, but um, it hurt. And I it probably hurt because of what I think it meant if I had done it um, and you're not me. So would you be willing to tell me why you did that? <laughs> and often even what we say that another person did, they're like, I didn't do, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. No, we have to, really, you didn't do that? What did you do? <laughs> you find out it might've been a one word difference. Like we didn't hear the not. Right, like just right. as our little diffuse awareness, we wandered off and we didn't hear the whole sentence and we missed some critical words in there, right? Or they did do what we said, but often like women interpret men and women as being very controlling when what they're being is protective. Mm -hmm. And if we interpret it as protective, we can be like, oh, that is so sweet that's awesome you want to protect me could i tell you a better way to protect me that wouldn't also tick me off <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm interested in that um okay i'm gonna stop ask me something no, else. No, I, I, forever. <laughs> I, I just your the pause is huge so i know you do some equine healing it looks like in some days when you have live and events again and one of my good friends um i call her my wife even though she's not i have a husband um is a equine healer as well and she taught me the pause right she's tried to teach me the pause for 20 years we've been friends for a long time and i shouldn't say 20 but regardless yes. the pause was a was a challenge for me because I didn't understand why the pause was a challenge for me until your work. And then I started to go, oh, okay, okay. And that pause has been monumental in my relationship with Ian, you know, running a business and running a, having a family and all the things that we do. And we're 15, 16 years in part in age. And I went from furious to curious. I went from, you know, I mean, we've had eight relationships in 24 years or something, I would say together. Like there's been all sorts of different evolutions. You had eight husbands. Yeah, pretty much eight husbands. I was like 12, 12, 12 wife by now. And, and becoming a parent together was when it really became clarifying how different we run and how different we roll. And it was even more magnifying than the business. And what I wasn't patient with and, and, what I was blown away about was exactly what you said earlier. Like, well, if I had said that to you, I would have done it for this reason, but you said this to me, I want to know why you said it because I have my assumptions of why you said it because of our history together. And then what I realized when I had these conversations with Ian, he was like, no, that's not what I did. And I was like, oh crap, I beat myself up for three days because I thought you were saying that I was a bad mom when really what you were saying is you want to be there for me so I can do this other thing. Holy cow. And it was like, 
I don't know what marriage we've been in for the last however many years, because I've been messing my own self up, not having conversations with you, but having conversations with the you that I think is you that's not you at all. And I sat there was like, I need to unwind this and figure out and, and what you said earlier about if we're not aware, then we have no choice. That needs to land on everybody. If we're not aware, we have no choice. And what your work did for me was give me a choice and allowed me to have awareness that I didn't have before so I could make a different selection. And it softened our marriage. It softened me which, you know, and, and something else you said earlier, like we don't need help. We don't need self-help. We need development. We need to understand ourselves and why we're driven, but there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you listening to this. We're all awesome. We just forgot that because people kick the shit out of me. Ooh, I swore on my podcast. Um, you swore on your podcast, Kelly. <laughs> but also feeling that tension in your body and having that awareness, which is what we teach people too. Like if you're, eating a food and it makes you feel a certain way, then pay attention to that and let's write that down. Or you, a subject matter hits and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel very gassy. Well, there might be a link to the emotion and the digestion. And what you're bringing their awareness to is like, feel your physical body. Your t- and when there's a conversation or a, a relationship or somebody walks in a room, feel that in your body somewhere. And what does that represent? And then be curious to find out without judgment, that would be our goal, without judgment. Because I had a lot of judgment of myself and I thought I was being judged a lot. And I realized 99% of the time that wasn't true. It was about his protection, his single focus, his like, he was here and I was there all over the place and wasn't able to have this conversation because I was here on a global perspective. And it's, very, I mean, I, I think you should get some kind of, like, you should go down for this legacy. This is amazing work that you've done truly. And, and I want it to be shouted out to the world because I have had read a lot of books, but they were more about health. They weren't necessarily about relationships. Yeah. And I, did you read the Queen's Code? No, I haven't yet. Oh my gosh. You haven't even gotten to one of the best things of all. No, like you said earlier before we got on camera was, um, you know, I've done all the things that are probably older. I hadn't gone to your website because I'm last to do that. But I'd listen to anything and everything that was available on YouTube or Audible or, you know, Spotify or any of those. And I just ordered a bunch of your books right before we got on when I was waiting for (laughs) us. I'll just order her books while I'm waiting. And you have a new book coming out on Audible. The Queen's Code, right, is coming out on Audible in March. Well, it's um, we got delayed, and oh. I don't know when I'm going to give it to Audible. They they only have my work up to 2008. Oh. The rest is on our website, and the Queen's Code, which actually was the point of 20 years of my research, um, it was only released in print and on it an ebook and um and i'm almost done recording the audiobook i'm 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 that close um within a couple of weeks it'll actually be done and then and then we don't know when or how i'm publishing it yet but um the thing one of the things i just would like to put in here 
that that could help. Um, and that is the concept of respect. And you mentioned equine healing. We actually, our course with horses isn't about healing, although that happens from everything we do. It's about teaming up with the horses to teach people how to behave in partnership. And especially because horses live in a paradigm of respect. They really don't care if you like them. And for men, being liked is something they want from their mate, but they know they survive from being trusted and respected. And so unfortunately, when you have someone who lives in a, do you like me, like me, like me, I'm safe because you like me paradigm, interacting with someone is, but do you respect me? But do you respect me? And if you don't trust me, you clearly don't respect me, right? And so, and we're always communicating in a way like we'll interrupt them to tell them how much we like them. But the fact that we interrupted them is a disrespect. <laughs> so, so this happens all the time where we're communicating disrespect, disrespect, disrespect on top of, I don't need you, right? And what's admirable about you anyway, because you don't act like a perfect woman. So it just, oh, it just grinds down. And my sense of it is they, they, as much as we see them as hairy women and they see us as, <laughs> as emotionally indulgent, highly distractible men, they give us more benefit of the doubt. Mm. They're, they, they are less judgmental of, and you're wrong for being that way. And, less tr and they aren't out to change us. They figure what you see is what you get. This is who she is. And they walk around and around and around and around. And then they either pick up the package or walk away from it, right? And like, okay, that's how you are. And they, they, they take it all. They're not, you know, okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna marry this person and then try to carve away the half I don't like. Mm -hmm. No, they don't, they don't do that. Um, so, so I wanted to say that, and I also, um, if I may, I, I don't believe you can permanently damage a human. Okay. I have healed from too many things myself. I've witnessed people be, be whole again from things you would think would take a chunk out of who they are forever. And I... I know that the will, the will to be whole and free and complete, that will is the biggest part of the equation of healing. That, that saying where there's a will, there's a way. If you have a will to be whole, you will find a way. And I, I had a friend once, she joked, just add water. <laughs> because it, it, Really, what we've seen, we have, we have a course called Extreme Freedom, and it's one of the purest expressions of who I am and what I'm committed to. And freedom means the power to choose, right? If you're not aware, you can't choose. And freedom is the power to choose. And it, that course proposes that you even have the, the power to choose how much power to choose you have. <laughs> so you can keep all the ways you're compelled if you want to, <laughs> or just some of them, 
maybe not, <laughs> maybe the ones that keep heavy ending up in a ditch, you want to abandon that. But one of the things we look at is this thing called restoration requires. And that a person can do a million things to be whole. But if they're not willing to give up the benefits of being injured, of being ill, of being sick, of being not well, of being damaged, and there's tremendous benefits, tremendous justifications. There's, I call them wound clubs. You know, you get to belong to the club of the people who have wounds like you. And then you get status in that club by having the biggest wound. And if you heal yourself from that wound, then they don't want you there anymore. And we're herd and pack animals. Belonging is survival, right? So are, are we willing, right? Are we literally willing ourselves to be healed? Or do we have a conflicting will? Part of us is willing us to be healed and the part of us is not willing to give up the benefits of being being injured or whole or damaged or scarred or however we want to talk about ourselves. Right. To buy into our story to make it that reinforce of who we are. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, and I in one of the things that I listen to you talk about, so please unpack this better than I'm going to right now, but as women and the whole women's live experience. I have seen like, I was raised in a family that being a tomboy was highly regarded much more than a crying little girl. Right. So I became a tomboy because that was a little more accepted and, you know, they were just doing the best, no judgments here. But what I'm saying is that like, in order to be successful in business, I felt like I had to take on some male roles early in my twenties when I started working in sales and I was wearing business suits and I didn't wear makeup. And I was very, I would say asexual in a lot of ways. And then I came into my femininity, even to the point where I have flowers in my room and pink is now my color and purple, but I would, I want to get your sense of like, earlier we talked about how women and men kind of think that, you know, we're the hairy versions of, they're the hairy versions of us and we're the overly, um, you know, emotional uh, male parts, but we're not, we're, we are very different. We're not the same, but yet in society, it's it's like in order to have equality, then you got to be the same as men in order to accomplish. And could you speak upon that a little bit of what you found in your work? Because I, I think this is a road that we're not meant to go down, that a lot of people are going down. That's my belief system, my goal, my, my goal, my knowing. And as what I have found is the more I become me, 100% me, without caring if I'm feminine or crash or not, I'm more accepted. Yeah. And um, you're not just more accepted, you're more trusted because what you see is what you get. You're also more attractive in the way that men want to take care of you. They want to contribute to you. Um, Authenticity is the second most attractive quality to men, period, in terms of being emotionally involved with a woman, whether it's a a friend, a daughter, you know, or a lover, right? Authenticity, self-confidence, by the way, is number one. 
Um, and you can't really have one without the other, right? Um, and so, yes, in, so a lot of what happened in the rebellion, I think of, um, at least here in the US, uh, I think we, women reacted to being put back in the old box after taking over most of men's jobs during World War II and finding out we could do them and that it was awesome to accomplish things and that didn't get dirty or eaten and you had to do it all over again the next day. It was actually done and you got to kick some royal, like, mm, that, was, oh, that was awesome. And then, okay, go back to cleaning house. No, we're not gonna. And, and so that, that combined with birth control, which we now could affect what would make us the weakest, being pregnant and bearing children makes us the, the weakest, the most vulnerable, emotionally, physically, mentally, everything. And so those things, you know, combined into this, um, something that could, if I have my way, will really allow for partnership. And, but partnership is based on an innate respect for the other person's contribution. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be an equal contribution in all ways. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be sameness. And this is one of the things that men taught me. I'm not looking for someone like me. I'm looking for someone who's not me. And they and wanting the different kind of strength, that complementariness, and it doesn't even have to be traditional roles. When Greg figured out that I was way better at packing the car than he was, <laughs> he's like, "How about I bring the bags down and then do the puzzle?" Because he'd just throw stuff in the back of the car and then it would fall out. And one time he 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 couldn't, and I packed it, and he like looked and went. Oh geez, <laughs> wrong person to do this. So, and there's another part about it, and then Don, I'm gonna have to go. So one of the things I've studied is competition, because competition prevents teamwork. It prevents collaboration. It prevents what I call the collaboration of queens. It gets in the way of powerful women joining forces in a magical way. And and what I discovered was that there there are two things. Two, two ingredients that when you have both ingredients, it's, it's game on. The competition has begun. And one ingredient is scarcity. And it doesn't have to be real scarcity, just the perception of scarcity, right? So it, it could be a real scarcity of opportunity, right? Or the perception, like many of us with our parents, when we have siblings, there's a perception that there's a scarcity of approval. There's a scarcity of attention. There's a scarcity of acknowledgement, right? So anything that we perceive as scarce. And then the second element is sameness. So we don't try to compete against people who occur completely different, right? Like there's, there's it, that ingredient is essential. And so when this conversation arose of we're the same as men, going head to head, it's very different than we're equal to men. We're e we should have equal rights. We should have equal expression. We, equality and sameness, no, 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 no. <laughs> equal and identical, those are two different words for a reason. Mm -hmm. And 
it's funny, Kelly, because when I, I take a long view of history and humanity, and if you think about in the early 1900s, when the YWCA wanted to teach women to type, women were considered too stupid to learn to type. Mm. Not kidding, not kidding. And, and when, how, in the short amount of time that we went from being property to having property to generating such results, right? Um, when we think about how many women are managers and owners and executives, and that often if you look at who gave them that opportunity, it was men who said she's the best person to produce this result, because that's really all they care about. They're, they're, yes, there are misogynists, but I would say there are no more misogynists than there are man eaters. But I don't think there's a word for that. Why isn't there a word for that? <laughs> I always suspect about these things. Um, so it's just, it's just, I don't know if we, there's so much that's possible. It really can be a stairway to heaven if we just like step back and go, what if I'm wrong? Right? What if I'm wrong about how this works? Would I be would I be willing to be wrong about everything that I thought men are and women are and I am if that gave me access to all my dreams coming true? A lot of people's answer is no. I won't be wrong for anything. I'd rather die wrong. I mean, I die, I'd rather die right. Right? I, I no, no, I'd rather I'd rather be miserable than be wrong. And that's part of being human because <laughs> everything is based on being right. You better be right. So you have a good strategy because if you don't have a good strategy, you're going to die. Again, more instinct. Which is really to talk right. to you about human instincts. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I know that you have to go and I appreciate your time so much. And Usually we ask one last question, but I won't do that. I will table this for our next conversation. Please, everybody go to alisonarmstrong.com, support her and her work, do her classes. And I look forward to you all having amazing partnerships. Allison, thank you so much for your time. Truly from my heart to yours. Thank you for all the work you do. Really a pleasure. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to this episode of The Beats. And as your host, Kelly Kennedy, truly from my heart to yours, thank you for your time and your attention today. And if this did resonate with you, please do leave some comments. We would love to hear from you. And if this further you think would resonate with somebody that you know, please do go ahead and share that and hit that notification button so you know when The Beats is available to you. We do do some live things every once in a while. And watch out for some of our upcoming events. We have a node release class coming up in the local area here in Pennsylvania. Uh, Ian has a walk coming up. So you can check out some information on our website, the True Wellness Center, about all the details about those upcoming events. Um, And as always, we pray that this information today was not only foundational, but raised some questions for you and helped you be empowered to take actionable, profound steps 
toward regeneration because your body is the only thing that heals. And that is our message here on the beats. Thanks again for listening and for sharing. Have a great day.